Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 167, and I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. And you know that my goal with every podcast is to help you be the parent you want to be, not the parent I think you should be, but the parent you want to be. So to help, I interview child and adolescent experts so that you can understand why your kids do what they do and then how to respond to that. Before we get into the show today, I want to share some news that I'm really excited about. Many of you know that a while back I wrote Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters, and it became an international bestseller. And I think that this stemmed from the fact that I revealed a daughter's heart for her dad. And it showed what a daughter needs from her dad. Well, since then, a lot of fathers have asked, the book explained what my daughter needs from me, but how do I meet those needs? And the dads wanted specific steps they could take that would help them grow closer to their daughters and to understand them better. Well, I am excited that very question is answered in the Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters Masterclass. We just released it. So whether you've read the book or not, the Masterclass shows you how to be the dad your daughter needs you to be. And the course is for every dad, whether your daughter's seven or 47, whether you're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company or unemployed, if you have a daughter, you must take the masterclass. Your daughter needs you to. So check it out, meekerparenting.com slash strong, meekerparenting.com slash strong. Your daughter will thank you for it. Now on to the show. Joining me today is Richard Capriola. Richard spent 11 years working as an addiction counselor for Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas, before retiring in 2019. During his tenure there, he worked in the Adolescent Treatment Program and the Adult Comprehensive Psychiatric Assessment and Stabilization Program, working closely with psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, and nurses. He was responsible for comprehensive assessments and individual and group counseling with patients diagnosed with substance use disorders. Richard's the author of The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. This is the topic of our conversation today. You can get a copy of his book when you go to helptheaddictedchild.com. That's all one word, helptheaddictedchild.com. And it's available on Amazon. So check his book out, The Addicted Child. It is critically important for any parent who has a teenager or a preteen. All right, let's get into my interview now with Richard Capriola on this edition of Parenting Great Kids. Well, Rick, I've been so looking forward to our interview, and I know our audience is going to love it because you have so much to teach us. So thanks so much for coming on today. Well, thank you, Meg. I really appreciate you taking the time to meet with me and to spend a little bit of time about talking about this uh, important issue of adolescent substance abuse. It's huge. And unfortunately, I think it's rising from what I see, you know, as a pediatrician. And I'm... um, particularly excited to hear you talk because there's so much I want to know because I feel like many parents, you know, you come and you see kids addicted to some type of substance and you kind of panic and you know, you know, what do I do here? Before we do that, how did you get into um, working with addicted 
adolescence? Well, I started out in education. I was mm -hmm. a state level uh, school administrator in Illinois, worked for the state of Illinois for around three decades. And as I transitioned away from that career, I moved into the mental health field, beginning uh, working at a mental health, regional mental health crisis center. And that's where I noticed that so many people coming to the crisis center had a mental health issue they were struggling with, but also mm -hmm. a substance abuse issue. Mm -hmm. So I went back to the University of Illinois and received a master's degree in what is addictions counseling. Uh, continued to work at the crisis center until I was offered a position at Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas. Uh, Menninger is a large psychiatric hospital serving both adolescents and adults uh, throughout the world. And I worked for Menninger for over a decade, treating both teenagers and adults uh, diagnosed with uh, mental health and, and substance abuse issues. And so many times I would sit across from a family and I would go through their child's history of using the substance and give them a diagnosis. And they would look across at me and they would say, I had no idea this was going on. Mm. Or they might say, I sort of knew something was going on, but I didn't know it was this bad. And, and these are good parents. These are very yeah. good parents doing the best job that they can. They miss the warning signs because nobody told them what to look for. They had no idea of what to look for. So after I left Menninger, um, I decided to write this resource for parents to tell them what the warning signs are, tell them what assessments are needed, tell them what their options are for treatment, and give them some resources and hopefully to help them feel more confident and less afraid of this topic if they have to confront it. Well, I appreciate that. It is a scary topic. And, you know, I hope that today our parents out there can walk away feeling more confident and being able to spot some of the signs. So let's get going. Are there personality traits uh, that parents of young children should watch for that put them at risk? In other words, if you have a five-year-old or an eight-year-old who is behaving a certain way or has a certain type of personality, are there certain types of personalities that are going to make some kids more prone to addiction as they get older or are all kids at risk? I think every kid is at risk. All kids are at risk. Uh, there is no child that's totally protected. There are protective environments, but no child is totally protected. It, it doesn't matter where you live, urban, suburban, rural area. It doesn't matter what your level of income is. It doesn't matter uh, where you send your child to school. All children are at risk of being captured by uh, alcohol or drugs because these substances are readily available to, to students and, and they know it. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes the personality disorders that we see, the emerging personality disorders, the behavioral disorders, the conduct disorders, I think that we find that in some cases, not all cases, but in some cases, those disorders accompany a child using a substance. Uh, and that's mm -hmm. why it's so important that if you have a child who's using a substance, it is very important to get a comprehensive 
comprehensive assessment. All too often, we focus on the alcohol and drugs, as we should. Mm -hmm. But so many kids, not all kids, but so many kids have an underlying psychological disorder. It might be anxiety. It might be depression. It might be uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. uh, It might be an emerging personality disorder that that child is using a substance like marijuana or alcohol to medicate. So it's important Mm -hmm. that a parent get a comprehensive picture of what's going on with their child. So it would help parents at least if they see a child who's, you know, coming into their teen years, early teen years, who's oppositional defiant, or they may say, "Uh oh, I think they're depressed or gee whiz, I think there's some anxiety going on here to realize that Sometimes in order for kids to get rid of those things or feel better, they might turn to drugs or alcohol. So at least as a parent, they can go, okay, you know, my child's having depression and anxiety. I want to get help for him or her. Because I think like you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me a pretty good percentage of people, I know it's true with adults, but teens really turn to drugs and alcohol to self-medicate because they feel so yes. bad. What what percent of teens are using drugs or alcohol to mood alter, mood alter? Well, because I worked at a psychiatric hospital, pretty much all of them uh, were, were using uh, a substance to medicate an underlying psychiatric reason, a psychological reason. Uh, but I think the percentage is a lot more than, than, than what we've uncovered, because I think so many times we focus on the alcohol and the drugs and, and, and these kids go undiagnosed for mm-hmm. an underlying mental health issue. And, and therefore, uh, you know, the issue just compounds itself and continues because the child has never been correctly assessed and diagnosed. So you may have an issue like anxiety or depression or trauma or a personality disorder or an attention deficit disorder that that goes undiagnosed for so long. And, and the child is, is stumbled upon uh, a, a substance like marijuana, for example, uh, that medicates that, that issue. Uh, the large number of, of teenagers that I worked with at Menninger Clinic, when I asked them to help me understand why they were smoking so much marijuana, the number one answer that came back was, it helps me with my anxiety. So for a lot of these kids, you know, there is an underlying issue. So if you're a parent and you start to notice some of these symptoms, behavioral symptoms that you are sort of thinking, that's that that I'm a little concerned about this, I would say don't delay in getting to a professional to have somebody do an assessment because the earlier you can capture these diagnoses, the earlier you can begin treatment. So all treatment begins with a comprehensive assessment. So if you're a parent and you notice these behaviors and you think they're a little different, you should move to get an assessment uh, done by a professional. Mm-hmm. Well, and I just want to say to our audience too, the Menninger Clinic is very well known and it's got a, a very high reputation. So um, the fact that you work there so long lets us know you, you really know what you're talking about here. Um, okay, what warning signs should parents look for in their teenagers if they're concerned they have an addiction or at least using drugs and alcohol and are on their way to addiction? Well, in my book, I have warning signs for a child that might be 
drinking alcohol. I have different warning signs for a child that might be drinking alcohol. Mm -hmm. And I've included warning signs for a child that might be developing an eating disorder or self-harming mm -hmm. because sometimes those will accompany a child using a substance. So parents need to know what to look out for in, in the eating disorder and self-injury category. But as a general rule, what I recommend to parents is pay attention to the changes that you see in your child. You know your child better than anyone. So don't assume that the changes in behavior or, or that, that you're seeing are just normal adolescent acting out. They may very well be that, but they may also be an indication that there's something else going on that you need to look into. So for example, um, a child whose grades are starting to decline. A child who gets into disciplinary or behavioral problems at school. A child who used to enjoy participating in sports and extracurricular activities no longer shows an interest in those activities or wants to participate. A child who used to introduce you to your, your their friends. You knew who their friends were. You might have even known who some of their family members were. Now becomes very secretive of who their friends are. Becomes very secretive about where they've been and who they've been and hanging out with. And then, of course, if you find any strange odors or you find any drug paraphernalia, those are obvious signs. Uh, uh, but some of these subtle signs can often go masked uh, for quite some time. Now, if these signs go come and go fairly quickly, it's probably not too concerning. But if they start to linger on for a period of time, and then you begin to see more and more of these warning signs, then I think you should move to the next step and, and get some professional assessments done so that you can rule in or rule out whether or not there's an issue that needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. Are all addictions pretty much the same? You talked about eating disorders, and I know more about eating disorders than drugs and alcohol because I've taken care of a number of girls like that. But are the fundamental drivers of addiction, whether it's starvation, overeating, um, drinking, uh, taking drugs, is that driving force about the same or is it different from different types of addiction? I think there's a similarity that, that cuts across all addictions, all behavioral disorders, uh, whether they are chemical disorders like alcohol and drugs, or they're what we call process disorders, which are behavioral disorders like eating disorders, gambling, um, and, and self-injury. What they have in common is that all of these behaviors, whether it's drinking alcohol, taking marijuana, uh, restricting food intake, or, or, or self-injury, what they have in common is that the, the individual is in a struggle to manage what I call intolerable thoughts or feelings or memories. Kids are no different than adults. When we have an intolerable thought or an intolerable feeling or an intolerable memory, we don't just sit with that. Mm -hmm. We want to get rid of it. And often the solution to getting rid of it is in the form of a drug or, or in the form of alcohol. So what they have in common is that these kids, like many adults, are struggling with an internal intolerable thought, emotion, or memory. And what mm -hmm. they found is a way to get immediate relief. And often that immediate relief is found in the substance. Mm -hmm. Well, it's you can understand it as you describe it that way. Is there a difference between teen addiction and adult addiction? Or are they the same? 
I think there's two big differences uh, between adolescent ad addiction and, and adult addiction. Um, the first is in the area of the brain development. Mm -hmm. uh, adolescent brain, as I'm sure you know, is in the process of developing. It doesn't become mature until around age 24, 25. So it's very important that parents understand that their adolescent's brain is, is in the process of maturing and developing, forming those connections that will be so important for that child in adulthood, and that brain needs to be protected. Uh, the second area is consequences. Uh, mm -hmm. Adults who have become addicted often have faced catastrophic consequences as mm -hmm. a result of their substance use. These are not little consequences. These are often catastrophic. They may have lost a job. They may have lost a marriage. Uh, they may have been incarcerated. Uh, mm -hmm. And these are consequences that many adult addicts face. Uh, adolescents, on the other hand, they have very few consequences. Their, their, their biggest consequence is usually their family restricting them or grounding them or taking something away. But adolescent consequences tend to be far less catastrophic than what adults unfortunately face as a result of their addiction. Mm -hmm. One of the issues I've seen that parents can get into, and it's this sort of tug and pull where you have an addicted teenager, you're getting them help, but you have to really lay down the law because they can't have alcohol in the home. If they do, they get their cell phone taken away, so on and so forth. And then parents worry, I'm going to drive my child away. So in other words, is there any validity? Is it a good idea or a bad idea? If you find your 16-year-old is smoking marijuana or taking drugs in your home, for you to say, you can no longer do that, or I take the car away, or this or that, because I think a lot of parents are reticent to give consequences because they're afraid their child will run away. So in treatment of teenagers, in your experience, what's the best way for parents to handle an addicted child at home until you've gotten them professional care? Well, every child's different and every situation is different. Uh, you know, unfortunately, some some children have gotten to the point where uh, the parents are have no option other than to uh, send the child into a hospital like Menninger Clinic. Uh, none of the kids wanted to come into Menninger Clinic. They came in yelling and screaming and very angry and tar trying to bargain their way out. But the parents had gotten to the point where they realized that uh, there was no other option. They had they had exhausted all their options. And, and they were going to insist that their child be hospitalized to get an assessment and, and, and treatment. Um, for situations that are not life-threatening and that serious, I think it puts parents in a very difficult situation because they know the dangers uh, that, that these drugs pose to kids, but they don't want to alienate their child. Uh, but um, but on the other hand, as a parent, we have a responsibility to, to, to do what we know is right to protect that child. And, and, and it's not our job to, to necessarily please our child at every moment or to get their approval of everything. Um, it, it won't be the first time we've heard a child say no to us about something that we insist be done. Uh, but, but as a parent, I think the danger is in delaying. The danger is in doing nothing. The danger is in hoping it will go away or that it won't get worse. And often that, uh, that, that's just not the case. 
So the earlier you can discover a problem, the earlier you can intervene and get professional assessments and treatment if, if needed, the more likely that child is to recover from any use of substances. Mm-hmm. That's a great answer, you know, because often the situation that I find myself in is the parent and child coming in, sitting with each other, just mad, and the sparks are flying, and and the child saying, "My mom is mean. She won't let me this. She won't let me this." And then mom says, "Well, I have to because you're, you know, you told me you're going to stop drinking, and I'm find you drinking with your friends in our house." And I'm sitting in the middle, thinking, "You know, is mom being too harsh? Is she not?" But I don't know that there's an easy way for parents to help their kids out of the addiction. In other words, I don't think just being really nice and saying, oh, it's okay, I'm sorry, you know, this is, you know, just drink in the home and and we'll get you help. Um, is that a problem for parents being too soft on their kids, if you will, if they find they're addicted? Yeah, I think it is because, uh, you know, this is a very dangerous topic. This is a very dangerous behavior. Uh, it may seem, uh, you know, as, as if it's not very harmful initially, but you never know when it may lead to more serious use of a substance or where it may lead to more hardcore drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, so the sooner you spot this and the sooner you intervene, uh, the more likely you are to, to keep this from propelling out of control. Now, your child's not going to like it. It's not mm-hmm. going to want to have you intervene. It's certainly not going to want to hear you talk about how bad drugs are and how they shouldn't be using it. But you you really are in a situation where if you do nothing, the chances of it escalating and becoming much more worse are, 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 are very good. It's mm-hmm. likely to happen. It will. Let's talk about the drugs that teenagers are using today. Um, what are the most commonly used and what are the least commonly used? And, you know, how did this shift through the pandemic? Well, those are good questions. Um, for a long period of time, the popular drugs, uh, substances among teenagers have been alcohol, uh, marijuana, and nicotine. And that's been true for a long, long period of time. There is some exposure to the harder core drugs, but I would say, uh, and, and some prescription abuse, but those tend to be less than 5% of teenagers, uh, whereas much higher percentages are drinking alcohol, smoking marijuana, and and using nicotine. Prior to the pandemic, for about three years prior to the pandemic, what we had seen was an alarming increase in what is known as vaping, where teenagers will take a substance like marijuana or nicotine, they'll put it into a cartridge, has a vaporizer in it, turns it into a vapor, and they inhale it. Well, kids have, have, prior to the pandemic, the the percentage of teenagers vaping nicotine and vaping marijuana was rising at very alarming rates. Mm -hmm. Um, It really was getting out of control. And I think most parents might not even have been aware that their child was vaping a substance like nicotine or marijuana. Mm -hmm. The pandemic came along and what we noticed was that during the pandemic of last year, there was a significant decline in teenager substance abuse. And I think a lot of that's attributed to the fact that they were 
not in their social situations. They were not in school. They weren't hanging around with their peers. Many of them were isolated at home. So we saw a rather dramatic decrease uh, for that year in teenage substance use. For example, alcohol among seniors dropped from 55% of seniors to 47%. Mm -hmm. Marijuana among high school seniors dropped from 35% to 31%. And even uh, using nicotine and vaping dropped. Um, on, on the other hand, while we saw a drop in teenage uh, substance abuse during the pandemic year, we saw a dramatic increase in the mental health crisis among teenagers. Um, you know, and they were reporting increases of depression, increases in anxiety, increases in sleep problems, uh, feeling anxious, feeling scared. So while the pandemic year drove down substance abuse, it drove up mental health issues. And I think we're just scratching the surface on what on what we're going to see for both adults and adolescents as we come up, come out of this pandemic year. I agree with you, but it's it just seems kind of ironic that one of the reasons that kids and adults will take mood altering substances is to drive down the depression, drive down their anxiety. But what we saw is depression, anxiety going up and substance abuse going down. And it's interesting, you know, to see that perhaps being home drove some of that use down and then being away from friends who were perhaps encouraging you to do that. Let's talk about marijuana. I live in a state in Michigan where it's legal and nobody talks about marijuana addiction. Um, it just is what it is and you can get it as much as you want and it's easily available. Is marijuana a gateway drug for the use of other substances alcohol, uh, harder drugs? Not necessarily. It can be, but but I would not say that everybody who smokes marijuana is destined to move on to use cocaine or heroin. Uh, I, I think that's a too simplistic approach. The issue of, of making marijuana legal where it is in many states is, is legal for adults, not for adolescents. And my focus is on adolescents and, and mm -hmm. the developing brain. So in no way should any of these substances be made legal for an adolescent whose brain needs to be protected. But no, I wouldn't say that just because a person person is smoking marijuana, that they're destined to move on to harder core drugs. Um, I, think, I think that's too simplistic because every situation and every individual is so much different. Do they put themselves at higher risk of moving on to harder drugs if they're regularly using marijuana? I think they could get to a point where, you know, they're smoking the marijuana, say, to medicate an underlying issue. They develop a tolerance to that, and it's no longer giving them the desired effect that they want. The first thing they're likely to do is increase their use. Uh, since their tolerance has changed. But if they get to the point where they think they're not getting enough relief from, say, smoking marijuana uh, for, for whatever they're dealing with, uh, they are more vulnerable to moving on and experimenting with another substance because we haven't addressed the underlying issue. As long as we don't un address the underlying psychiatric or psychological issue, the more likely that person is to continue using using a substance or to substitute other substances to medicate that undiagnosed and untreated issue. Parents, I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Richard Capriola. We need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. I'll be right back with more of my conversation.
Welcome back to Parenting Great Kids. My guest today is Richard Capriola. Before we go on to, and I want to jump to that, you know, what parents can do and what treatment options are, just real quickly, what does marijuana do to the adolescent brain? Well, that's interesting because in my book, I have a picture of a, of a brain and I show parents what the different areas of the brain are responsible for. We have an area that helps us speak. We have an area that helps us coordinate and walk. We have an area that helps us reason through things and make decisions. And then I have another chart that shows where marijuana attaches itself to throughout the brain so that teenagers, the kids I was working to with, could, could very easily see how this drug was working in their brain and how it affected their brain. And that seemed to make a big impact on them um, because what we noticed in many of these observations that we see through testing are not readily observable to, to parents or to, or to adults. But I worked with a lot of teenagers at Menninger Clinic who were smoking a lot of marijuana multiple times a day. And these were very bright kids. Most of them had IQs that were above average to superior. Hmm. Um, so they were very bright, intelligent young men and women. But when the psychological and the neuropsychological tests came back on these kids, what I noticed was the processing speed of their brain was below average. Their hmm. short-term memory was impaired and their motivation was below average. Now, those are things that a parent or the average person might not notice. I mean, some of it with the processing speed of the brain and the short-term memory that might show up, you know, in terms of their academic performance. But like I say, these kids were all very bright, had high IQs, superior IQs. But some of these changes were observed when we did a little bit further digging and did some of the psychological testing. We could see how smoking so much marijuana was really affecting the processing speed of their brain and their short-term memory. Hmm. So a parent has found out their 15 or 16-year-old is depressed, they've got an addiction, they know what they're dealing with, now what do they do? Well, the first thing they do is have a discussion with their child. Uh, you know, they, and, and by that, I mean, um, you don't accuse the child of doing anything. You don't threaten the child. You don't punish the child. You want to come at this from an inquiring point of view. In other words, I'm noticing these things. Can you help me understand why I'm seeing these behaviors? Or I'm noticing this about you. Can you help me understand why I'm seeing this? Now, that's a discussion that will go one of two ways, most likely. It's either going to blow up and the child's going to become argumentative and angry and defensive, or you might actually learn a few things by taking an inquiring point of view rather than accusing your child or threatening your child. But regardless of how that conversation goes, if you're still concerned as a parent, I think you need to move to the next step, which is to do the assessments that I've outlined in my book. You'll want an addictions assessment so that you can get an accurate assessment of what your child's been taking, whether the diagnosis is a substance use disorder that's either mild, moderate, or severe. And, and, and you want to get a psychological assessment to either rule in or rule out if there's any underlying issues uh, such as anxiety or depression or some other uh, disorder that might need treatment as well as the substance use. So you need to get those assessments done from professionals. I love that. You know, one of the things I wanted to add to is a lot of teenagers, if a parent says to them, 
you know, we need to have you tested. I'm concerned, you know, there might be some anxiety, whatever. They don't want to go to a counselor. They don't want to look like there's something really wrong with them. But one of the ways parents of patients of mine have gotten around it is they will call me and tell me what they're seeing. And I will say, give me a heads up, have them come in for a, a physical exam, a checkup, Kids will go in for that anytime. And then I will sort of tease out of them, oh, you know, maybe this is happening. But I have found that kids are more likely to go move on for testing or counselor if somebody other than the parent tells them they need to. So that's just a tip that I have found is works because sometimes kids will do what I tell them to but not their parents because I'm safer because I'm, you know, not a parent. But anyway, um, so a parent has had uh, um, their child assessed. They find out they do have pretty severe depression. The child is addicted. The child says, I don't know that I can. And I've heard kids say this. I, I don't know that I can stop drinking this much. Drinking gets out of control. Then what do they do? Well, let me first say that I think that your approach is is really outstanding, um, and and I and I wish more physicians would, as just a routine matter of doing an adolescent physical exam, whether it's for school or sports or just an annual physical, you know, do a rapid screen on alcohol and drugs. I mean, mm-hmm. there's screens out there that take uh, just a couple of minutes, and you can get a, at least a prelim- preliminary view. And if you're a parent, uh, you know, talk. Talk to your pediatrician about doing some type of rapid assessment when the child comes in for just their physical exam. You don't have to tell the child anything other than they're going Mm -hmm. in for their annual physical, but you can have a conversation with the doctor and say, hey, would you mind doing a rapid screen? I'm not sure that there's anything going on, but just ask a few questions about alcohol and substance use and and see if that's something we need to pay attention to. That might actually catch an awful lot of kids that are flying under the radar. Yeah, I think so. And and I would encourage parents, you know, don't be shy about, you know, sending a message to your physician, writing a letter, asking for an appointment yeah. without your child so that the, the physician really knows what to look for and what to ask. And so that if a child comes in without mom or dad present, they, the parent doesn't feel an awkward position where they have to bring something up like, oh, I think Tommy is addicted to alcohol. Would you talk to him? That doesn't work as well. But, you know, contact your physician ahead of time, because I think that really will help us. So if a child is really spinning out of control, their depression is not treated. Let's walk through two scenarios. Sorry, I want to back up. Outpatient treatment and inpatient treatment. So if you have, when would you choose outpatient treatment for a teenager? And what would that look like? And then we'll go to the inpatient. Well, every every patient is different. Every every diagnosis is different, and every treatment plan is individualized. For some kids, uh, they will do very well in an outpatient program, uh, where they might see somebody once or twice a week. Uh, they may have a substance use disorder that is in the mild category or not the severe category, the moderate category, where uh, they're using occasionally, but it's still causing problems and needs to be addressed. They may do very well in an outpatient program. Uh, others where the substance abuse is 
is more heavy, more frequent. Uh, they may do very well in an intensive outpatient program where they see somebody maybe two, three, or four times a week, or they're in a partial hospitalization program where they're going for half a day or so. Um, that's usually in situations where um, you know, you're dealing not just with a, a substance abuse issue, but you're dealing with an underlying mental health issue that needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And then there are situations like the, the kids, the teenagers I saw at Menninger Clinic, where the substance abuse is so severe and the underlying mental health, psychiatric reasons are, are symptoms are so severe that that child uh, will do well in a residential program where they, where they will go to a residential center for a period of months. Mm. Um, and that was a large percentage of the kids that I dealt with. They had a severe substance abuse issue, but they were also struggling with severe depression or anxiety or had developed an eating disorder or were self-harming themselves. So when the intensive outpatient program and the residential program, I think, are best suited for a child who has a dual diagnosis and where both the substance abuse and the underlying psychological or psychiatric diagnosis is severe. And that child is looking at longer term, more intensive treatment. Yeah, and I really wanted to leave it on a, a positive note because I think that a lot of parents get very frightened. They don't want to look deeper because they're afraid of what they'll find, and then they'll find that there is no hope for their child. But as I tell parents, depression and anxiety are treatable. And what you're saying, too, is addictions to different substances are treatable. And I think that's really important for parents to know so that they're not afraid to see what they need to see and to encourage their child, take their child places where they're going to get a diagnosis that the parent doesn't want. If you know what you're dealing with and facing it, you really can, um, you can help kids. So finally, if if a parent is concerned about anything with their child, first they go to their, their local doctor, pediatrician or internist. They might find a local counselor. But beyond that, if they say, you know, my child is really more severe than what can be handled here, what do you suggest for those parents to do? Is there a place where they can go to find resources to start making phone calls to where they can find, you know, the professionals in their state even that are good in dealing with addiction? Yeah, I think I think you will want as a parent to have some referrals of professionals in your community that are trained and licensed and, and have experience dealing with adolescents that can do the addictions assessment, uh, that can do the psychological or the psychiatric assessment, that can do the physical exams to rule out if there's anything physically that needs to be addressed. And, and many times those professionals will be able to refer you to treatment centers uh, that that will be able to match your child's diagnosis with their treatment. And that's very important. Uh, So I would, as a parent, I would rely on the professionals to do the assessment and the testing, to give me a diagnosis, to recommend a treatment plan, and then ultimately to recommend some some treatment centers that I can can talk to. And in my book, I have listed for parents, what does a, 
evidence-based treatment program look like? What are the questions you should ask a potential treatment provider? Because many parents are dealing in a crisis situation, so they may not even think of all the questions. So I've given them some tips on that. The thing I would say, I would say two things to parents that are listening. First of all, as you pointed out, there is a sense of hope. We know that treatment works. Obviously, like any other disorder, the earlier you diagnose it and treat it, the quicker you can have a favorable outcome. So you don't want to delay as a parent, you know, getting your child assessed in treatment. Do it as early as you can. The second issue, which often doesn't dis get discussed, is if you're a parent, we put so much emphasis on the child as we should, but parents are going through a crisis too. They're dealing with their own struggles. They're looking at themselves and wondering, how did this go wrong? What kind of a parent am I? How did I fail? And they're going through anxiety and depression and fear and a whole range of emotions. And many times because of the stigma that's associated with addiction, uh, they don't they don't want to reach out to other people. They want to keep this to themselves because they're afraid of the stigma that's attached to having a child that is in treatment for substance use or, or is using substances. But I would encourage every parent, if you're in that situation, get a support system. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a support group, maybe it's a mental health support organization, but build a support system around yourself because this is going to be a journey and you're going to need help and support just as much as your child will. That is a great point. Thank you so much for that because, you know, that's a whole nother show. How you encourage and support parents going through that because there's so much guilt and shame yeah. that parents feel and they don't right. need to feel that, but that sort of uh, stops them from getting help. My guest is uh, Rick Capriola. His book is The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. Whether you have a child who um, has a substance abuse or you're concerned about, even if you just have an adolescent read the book. This is a fabulous resource for any parent, you know, whether their child is addicted or not. Rick, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a fabulous show, and I know it's going to really help a lot of parents and kids. Thank you, Meg. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about this important topic and, and for your contributions to the discussion, which I think are very valuable as well, and your insight very valuable. So I hope that every parent and everyone who listens to us, uh, you know, gains a lot of information and, and feels a little bit more comfortable with this topic. And more hopeful and more confident. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you. Well, I really hope you enjoyed my conversation with Richard Capriola. This is a really important topic, and I realize it's a tough one for parents to listen to. I strongly encourage you to go to helptheaddictedchild.com and check out his book, The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. All right, let's go over my points to ponder. One, any child can have an addiction. Kids with addictions look like any regular kid. And just because your child goes to a good school or to church or has good friends doesn't mean he can't become an addict. All a teen has to do is get one dose of a strong drug like meth or heroin and boom, 
he can become addicted. And this is why it's critical for parents to keep their eyes open. While your child may not seek drugs out, he may be offered some drugs by another friend, a classmate or someone on a soccer team, but he may be too shy to say no and try it. Two, watch your child closely. Parents often think that teens are old enough to have more freedom than they can handle. And then they forget to pay close attention to their teen's mood, appearance, demeanor, behavior, or interactions with family and friends. Always watch your child for any sign of changed mood or behavior, even if it seems insignificant. Many kids are good at hiding changes. Three, talk openly about moods and addictions. If you have a family history of addiction, talk to your teen about it. Let him know that he may be at increased risk for alcohol or drug addiction, and therefore he needs to be very careful. Let him know that you understand the pressures and environment he's growing up in, and that you will always have his back. And let him know that if he ever feels pressured or is offered drugs, that you would like to help him. I wanna thank my guest, Richard Capriola, for joining me on the show today. You can find out more about him when you go to helptheaddictedchild.com. While you're there, be sure to get a copy of his book, The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. Once again, his website is helptheaddictedchild.com. Now, let's recap my three points to ponder. One, any child can have an addiction. Two, watch your child closely. And three, talk openly about moods and addictions. Remember, check out my brand new Strong Father, Strong Daughters Masterclass at meekerparenting.com slash strong. I know you'll love it. And remember parents, until next time, great kids are raised, not born. Many of you know that a while back, I wrote a book called Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters, and it became an international bestseller. Well, I believe that this stemmed from the fact that I revealed a daughter's heart for her dad. It showed every dad what his daughter needs from him. Well, since then, many fathers have written to me and said, well, okay, the book explained what my daughter needs from me, but now what do I do? do to meet those needs. They wanted very specific steps they could take that would grow them closer to their daughters. Well, I am thrilled to say that now I'm giving dad those answers in my brand new hot off the press, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters Masterclass. Even if you haven't read the book, the masterclass shows you exactly what you can do to be the dad your daughter needs you to be. And the course is for every dad, whether your daughter is seven or 47, whether you're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company or unemployed, it doesn't matter. If you have a daughter, you must take this masterclass. She needs you to. It's made up of 10 different modules covering every topic a father and daughter relationship faces. You can listen to it like a podcast or you can watch it and you don't have to watch it all at once. You can watch it for 10 minutes a day or 30. It doesn't matter. Whatever time you have, I promise this might be some of the most important and valuable time you've ever spent. 
To celebrate the launch of this masterclass, we're giving you $30 off. Go to meekerparenting.com slash strong to get your discount. Plus, I'm excited to announce that you'll not only get the $30 discount, you'll also get a special bonus. In June, I'll be doing live chats with other dads you'll be able to join. You can ask any question about the course or whatever you want. Go to meekerparenting.com slash strong for more info. Your daughter will thank you for it.